we have been in the men's group these last um, few weeks. We have, we have started a series on discipleship, and something emerged out of that that um, oh, just spoke to me. It, it, uh, I said, this, this is good. This is big. This is huge. This is something that we need to share with the rest of the church. This is something that, that all of us need to know about and, uh, and uh, be, able to, be able to do something with. And so I, I thought that, okay, we're just finishing this, this, uh, this three-part about what is church. And, well, this flows right out of that. Church is full of disciples. That's what it's all about, right? Well, what does that mean? What then do I individually do in the midst of this thing called church, which is a, which is a family, which is the household of God? God's family made different by the, by the living God, by the one and only unique and different holy God, that we are made different like him to show and tell him to the people around us. Well, that's a lot like the Great Commission. That's a lot like about being a follower, being a disciple, and that there's some things about discipleship. And this chapter is a good introduction. It's a chapter that, that um, shows Jesus first calling some of his disciples, and it, and it gives some just, there's some nice takeaways, some good things to notice. And there's one thing in particular, I think, that gets in the way. In fact, if I were to ask you that question, what is it that gets in the way of following Jesus? What is it that can get in the way of wanting to take the next step in following him? Because we might think this in terms of a category. We might think of it binary. We might think of it either we're there or we're not. We might think I'm following or I'm not. But, but really, it's, it's a process. It's a journey. There's a continuum. And each of us, no matter where we are in our walk with the Lord, are taking a next step. Or we're not taking a next step. What is it, do you think, that gets in the way of taking that next step as you're walking with following the Lord? That's going to come out. And I was surprised as that emerged as we were talking together in the men's group. So some of the men have have seen this before. But ladies, you know how men are, right? We're going to need to go over this again anyway. So that is not a problem. All right. So as we do that, then I want to invite you to turn to Luke Chapter 5, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, and uh, we're going to uh, read verses in just a moment. But before we read, once you've turned there and before we read, I want us to again just go to the Lord in prayer. Ask Him to open up His Word to us. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for gathering us together this morning. Lord, we have come, Lord, from many places in terms of what's going on in life. We've come from distraction. We've come from troubles. We come with fears. Lord, this morning, would you speak to us? Lord, in the midst of these distractions, Lord, would you clear a path into our ears and into our hearts that we might hear from you? In the midst of the troubles, in the midst of our fears, Lord, would you show us something more of who you are? That, Father, there we might might be able to lay those troubles down and be able to trust you, lean in, walk with you, follow you. Lord, we've come today not merely out of obligation, not merely to fill a square. We've come here because we want to know our God more fully. We want to walk with our Savior more closely. So Lord, help us this morning to see how to do that in the midst of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So Luke chapter 5. I'll go ahead and read the whole passage, then we'll come back to it. I'm, I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Um, Luke 5 verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, and the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And so getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, also known as Peter, we, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, sir, we toiled all night. We've taken nothing, and yet at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. First of all, there, I, I said as we go along, as we read through that passage, there's things that we notice about what it is being a disciple. And the first thing I put in your notes was disciples don't do the choosing. What do I mean by that? Disciples don't do the choosing. Here, here's Jesus. And Jesus is teaching, and there are lots of people listening in. And the crowd is pressing around them. It's hard. It's hard to teach the whole group because of those that are pressed in close and are demanding his attention. They're wanting a touch from him. They're wanting him to focus on their particular need, an urgent crisis, somebody needs to be healed. They want, somebody wants him to go with them back to their All kinds of demands, and yet Jesus wants to speak to the whole group. And so he's got to establish a little bit of distance. But while all these people are pressing in, there's two that are mentioned who are not. There's two who are tending to their nets. They're cleaning their nets. They're rinsing them out, getting them out of the muck. Maybe, I don't, I don't know what exactly has gone on. The nets weren't too worn out last night because they caught no fish. But they're busy with the task in front of them. They're not like the others in the crowd that are pressing and overwhelming Jesus. They're kind of leaving that be, so it seems. Or maybe, you know, we're going to multitask. Maybe we're going to do this, you know, while we're, while we're kind of listening in. You know how that works. Like you're working on something important. I've been doing a lot of writing in this last year, and sometimes I would try to write, or sometimes I would try to even do some of the proofreading changes. While I'm sitting there in the evening after the day, and I'm watching something on TV with Julie, and I'm trying to do this at the other, it doesn't work, does it? So I suspect that, that if they're busy with their nets, which are right in front of them in their livelihood, and their hands are on them, they're probably not going to hear much of what Jesus has to say. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. He's intentional. He actually, how do you get a fisherman's attention? Here you have these fishermen, they're busy, they're distracted. How do you get a fisherman's attention? How about stepping into his boat? He says, hey man, can I borrow your boat for a few minutes? 
just let's just push off land just a little ways, you know, like a little distance, so then I can speak to everybody, and the voice will travel across the water, and everybody will be able to hear me, and they don't want to get their feet wet, so they won't crowd in too close, and it'll be perfect. So Peter's like, wow, okay, what are you doing in my boat? But he goes along with it. He's, 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 he's known of Jesus before this occasion. So Peter goes along with it, and they push out, and Jesus teaches the people. But he engaged with Peter first of all. Uh, one of the things that, that, that you see along the way here, first of all, is there's some intentionality, and there's, there's an intentionality first with the Lord, that he draws Peter. He goes after, Peter's not the most interested person in the crowd, but for some reason he's interesting to Jesus, and Jesus goes after him and gets his attention. From Jesus we might learn, who will you make time to go fishing with? Now, for, for guys, that could be a great way. I've, I've got a friend who lives over in Vancouver, and he loves to go fishing. And one of the ways he tries to connect with people in his neighborhood is with his boat and offering to take people fishing. That's a very Jesus way to do it, I guess. But um, that's a way to connect. You got him trapped out there on the lake, you know, for, for hours on end. And who knows what you'll end up talking about. Now, don't corner them, but, but intentionally going after somebody because you want them to know more of something that you've got. Okay, so Jesus intentionally is intentional about going after him. This is something that we can do. I remember hearing earlier this week, we have a men's group together, we talk about the passage. One of the things that surfaced was, was um, this being intentional about people around you. Uh, one of the men was sharing that years ago in a manager's training that he was a part of, they, they, they described how of, of all the needs... That, that a work team has? What is it that they really want from their managers? What is it they really want from their leaders? And the, 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 the top need that raised out of, out, of the, out of this extensive survey was we want help from a leader or manager with things that are going on personally in our lives. We want to be able to approach on a personal matter and be able to get wise counsel or advice. We, we want that our leaders actually care about us and what's going on, not merely in the job, but what's going on in our own lives. Just a listening ear. We want Maybe they know of resources that I'm not aware of, somebody that they could direct me towards that could help in the midst of this situation. So in the workplace, vocational, vocationally, a, a listening ear, a caring concern for the people around you. The Air Force taught me the same kind of thing in its own leadership training. They said that, that you take care of your people and they take care of the mission. It ought to be somewhat easy, somewhat normal for us, following after Christ ourselves, that we would notice the challenge might be to give time to the needs of the people around us. Jesus noticed Peter and he devoted time to that. He chose Peter out. He said, hey, buddy, can I borrow your boat? Let's go out for a little bit here. Now, for Peter, it's in taking the next step that Peter's going to get to know the Lord more deeply. What's Peter going to do? This guy wants to use his boat. Well, he says, okay. Now, after, the, after Jesus is taught, he says, okay, now push your boat out. Let, let's, go, let's go out. Let's catch some fish. Well, Peter's been fishing all night. Peter's a fisherman. This guy, he's a rabbi. He's a, 
He's a good rabbi, but he's a rabbi. He's a teacher. He's a books and scrolls kind of guy. I mean, he's not hands-on. He's not a roll up your sleeves and get busy fishing. He probably knows nothing about fishing. I mean, everybody knows pastors don't know anything other than the Bible, right? Anything about what's really going on in life is just this book stuff and learning and history and theology and what does he know about fishing? There are no fish. We've been out it all night. Everybody knows if you don't catch these fish at night, they're not there during the day. In the daytime, they go deeper. In the daytime, they go further out. It's at nighttime when our nets would have a chance. And we've been there all night. We've caught nothing. If they weren't there then, they're not there now. But Peter goes anyway. Peter says, okay, anyway. Peter takes a risk. He's going to waste his time. He's going to waste his morning. He's been up all night. He's tired. He's probably a little frustrated because he's thinking, he's a fisherman. He's a fisherman, so he's not a farmer. He doesn't grow his food for his family. He catches fish. He sells the fish to buy the food for the family, to buy the material for the clothes that the family is going to make, to buy the chair or the table that the carpenter is going to make. He's not a carpenter. He's not a farmer, so he's got to catch fish if he's going to live. You know that world. You've got to do your work in order to pay your bills in order for your family to keep going. And he's got no fish today. It's not been a good day. And Jesus wants to go out again, waste his time. He's tired, he's frustrated, and yet he says, but because it's you who say, I've been listening to you, or I've heard you before, I've heard of you before. And he takes that chance. Now when he takes that chance, what happens in that little fishing expedition? It turns out the rabbi knows something about fishing. It turns out the rabbi knows where both fish and men are hiding. And so he's able to, there's this tremendous, all of a sudden the fish come, I, I, I think the fish weren't there. I think Jesus gathered them actually. I think he's behind the whole thing. I think guys, the problem with your fishing is you need to pray. <laughs> oh Lord, would you give us some fish? This is simple as that. No, I'm not a fisherman, so what do I know? I'm just a pastor. But Jesus somehow comes through with fish, doesn't he? There's a bunch of them. You can see them on, their, on your bulletin. We've got Peter's, Peter's selfie there. You know, he, We had to crop him out of it, but there's the fish. They're still there. There's a pile of them there. And Peter realizes there's something more going on here. There's something more about this rabbi than he had known before. He moves in Peter's estimation from master or sir, a term of respect, to lord, which means something far greater. The Lord is the owner, the one who controls everything. And he's, he's referring to Jesus as the Lord of the fish, as the Lord of this catch, as the one who owns it and controls it. And maybe them. He doesn't necessarily know who Jesus is yet, but he knows that he's more than he thought that he was before. How did he get that insight? Well, he saw it from the, from the catch. Jesus did this. It's obvious. And yet he never would have seen that if he hadn't said, okay, because it's you who say. You see, blessing comes out of obedience. Following Jesus is going to involve taking a risk that contradicts our own wisdom. That, that, that we, it doesn't make any sense. What he's telling us to do is contrary to what we know to do. What he's telling us to do is contrary to the categories. Everybody knows that that's not the way to get ahead. 
And yet that's what Jesus says to do. And I'm going to have to contradict my own wisdom. I'm going to have to contradict the things that I've learned even by experience if I'm going to trust him and walk by faith. And the only way to follow the Lord is to walk by faith, trusting him. Even when it contradicts, even when it, contrary to, goes against my own experience, my own wisdom, my own understanding, I can't figure out how going out in the morning is going to produce any fish that the night didn't provide. And yet, because it's you who say. And when I do trust, if we will trust, we believe it to see it. Obedience comes before blessing, and it's because he believed Jesus. It's because he stepped into what Jesus told him to do, not even knowing how it would make any difference, why it would matter. Because he stepped into what he told him to do, there he discovers something more about Jesus. This Jesus is more than I thought him to be. This Jesus is more than I knew him before. But that blessing... And the blessing here is knowing something more. The blessing wasn't the catch. In fact, they left the catch on the beach. The blessing was knowing something more about Jesus. He opened their eyes to himself. And more than anything else that's pressing upon us, that's what we need. And yet that itself comes. As well as the care and the other aspect of life, those personal little touches that remind you that my Savior knows my situation and he meets me here. He's with me here. The promise to the disciple, I am with you always. We, we experience that and we need to experience that in little ways where, when Jesus answers our request about the immediate trouble that I'm facing. But, but the greatest blessing was not the catch, was not the prosperity that would come from all of those fish. The greater blessing was going from master, sir, to Lord, owner, man from God that deeper insight into who Jesus was that I need to hear from, that was the blessing that he got here. And it came because he was willing to take that next step, knowing Jesus more deeply. I was talking to Ryan earlier this week, asking him just, tell me something about you and, and, and your discipleship journey. Tell me something about, oh, he's, the, you know, he's, he's, he's one of our pastors. I thought, you, know, you all would enjoy hearing something further about Ryan. How is it that Ryan kind of grew in discipleship. He was, a, he was a high school teenager, and as you know, they're a mess, right? I mean, I could, I could ask his parents right now, right now, Pam and Mike, you could, Ryan was a, yes, yes he was, See there, Mike nodding his head, absolutely, still is partly, but then mostly. What made a difference? And there was along the way, Ryan just had a hunger, he said. He, he, he wanted to, he wanted to take his Christian life more seriously. He wanted to, he wanted to walk more with the Lord. How do I do that? He began looking around for somebody that he could connect with, and, and it, wasn't, it was fairly obvious that there, there was this youth pastor here. His name was Michael at the time. And, and so he tried to just be around and with Michael more. He, they began to do things. That he, he, he asked them about stuff, talked about stuff. He joined a small group where he could be with others who also had said, we want to be more serious about growing together. So he got into a small group, and he found somebody older, a little more mature. And when I talk about Michael, youth pastor, I'd say a little more mature. We won't go into Michael's stories this morning, though. Oh, Michael's a great guy. He, his heritage here continues to live on in the church. And so, so he connects to Michael, gets to know him better. 
They have lunch together. You want to connect with a teenager. It does involve lunch. It does involve food, whether it's hamburgers or pizza or something. It involves that. And, and Michael did that. Brian told me, looking back later, he realized that Michael was also being intentional. When he had somebody who was somewhat interested, he looked for ways to cultivate that interest. He looked for ways to deepen the relationship from his side. And in the midst of taking that next step in relationship with somebody who I could learn something from, that's one of the ways that Ryan began to grow. It's true for us. In terms of who could I look for? I, I, I was so impressed by the young adults group when they first formed, when they first began meeting together. It wasn't long and they said, you know, we would like to have some older people. At first I thought it was just they wanted to feel younger themselves. They wanted to remind themselves, we're the young adults. Let's get some old folks in here just to remind us of where we're not. Or I thought maybe they want somebody, you know, to do some of the hard the, the work and to dig in, the studying and the teaching, and they could just, you know, hang together. I wasn't at all. I said, no, no, we don't want you to be the teacher. We don't want you to be the leader. Bob, don't talk too much. But we'd like a, an older couple that's experienced more of life than we have that we could just learn from along the way. We don't know what we need to learn from you, but we figure there's something. And so Julie and I did that for a little bit with them. They wore us out. And so we handed off to Brock and Karen. They're younger, more energetic. They could handle that more, I think, but uh, um, at least from my side. And, um, and that, can, that, that continues to prosper. And the kinds of things, I, th- I think Brock and Karen uh, probably know some of the things that the group is learning from them. They probably haven't got a clue of some of the stuff that they're picking up. For just folks that have walked well with the Lord for longer, that they've intentionally formed relationship with. You know what? That's why we talk about here at the church, we talk about growing together with other growing believers. This is important. This is huge. Don't forsake. We just read in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together to provoke and encourage one another to love and good deeds, doing, following. But we do that even better and we gather together also in a smaller group where I'm growing together with other growing believers. Who will you attach yourself to? Who will you say, I could learn something from you. Or who would you bring alongside? Hey, just walk with me here. Go here with me. Let's do this. And inviting them into something that you're in the midst of. It might be serving in a, in a role here in the church or out in the community. You're serving in a place and you grab somebody else and you, Dave Brown's hiding back there in the corner. Some of you here in the church know a man named Sean Sullivan. He was one of our elders, one of our teachers for many years. But um, Sean saw Dave sitting there hiding kind of like this in the back of his Sunday school class for a while. And he says, tell me your story. He found out that, that uh, Dave's a, 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 a student of the Bible, a teacher of the word. And he said, no, 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 don't sit back there. Come up here. And he invited him to join him in the midst of teaching that class. And now many of you love Dave's Bible class. Sean, who's Sean? Sean's gone. And you see how he invited somebody else in to the midst of what he was doing and continued it. And that's where we grow and encourage one another. And the whole body benefits out of that. Starts with believing it. Because I believe, I'll step in. I'll take the next step. Because I'll trust Jesus, I'll believe it. And out of that obedience comes all kind of blessing. It might be for myself. It might be for others. So they've caught... There has been blessing. There is all these fish. 
There they are. There's the catch. And boy, now, if Peter, if Peter was willing to, to push out from shore, Peter should be ready to jump in fully at this point. He should be ready to look who he is. He's more than I thought. I'll follow this guy anywhere. Let's see what else is on the table. Where, where are we going next? What's up? Where are we off to? But Peter's actually hesitant Peter should jump in, but Peter instead tries to bail. Peter's response at this great catch is, Lord, depart from me. He realizes that he's more than he thought. He says, Lord, that's huge. That's ownership. That, that, that's my maybe creator. It's, that, that's huge. And yet depart from me. Instead of jumping in, instead of following, he's pushing him away. What is it that gets in the way of our following the Lord more closely? We've, we've seen one of it already. We're about to see another one. I think there's two, there's two big ones, and there could be others, but many things will fall into these two categories. Maybe it's busyness, or maybe it's fear. Peter's busy with the nets. Or maybe it's fear. Depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Maybe it's distractions, other things to do. Maybe it's the guilt. Maybe it's ambitions, Things I imagine for the future. Maybe it's regrets of things that are already in my past. Maybe it's stuff I have to do. Maybe it's stuff I've already done. Maybe it's, it's um, what's before me that I'm all entangled in. Maybe it's what's behind me already that has already entangled me by it. Peter's first distracted by the nets in his hand. Jesus steps into the boat, gets his attention. Peter is now entangled by what he's already been. Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. As he sees Jesus is more than he really was, what is not uncommon is we get a clearer glimpser of who God is and his power and his holiness, and we realize, we know intuitively, our accountability to him, what comes from that? We draw back. Do you remember a story of Isaiah? Isaiah's call in Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah, I, Isaiah sees the Lord. He sees him high and lifted up. And he describes this glorious presentation of, the, of God on the heavenly throne. And he says, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm in trouble. I'm probably going to drop dead. Oh, no. Because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. I am a sinful man among, sin, among sinful people, and yet I have seen the glory of the Lord. How can I survive? And yet, what comes next in that story is also what comes next in Peter's. Isaiah, God sends an angel, term means messenger, to take a coal from the altar and to touch it right to right to Isaiah's lips. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. That's the uncleanness that's been mentioned. And so that's where God touches him from the altar of heaven. Not only that, but that's how Isaiah is going to serve the Lord, is using his lips, using his words. And God has cleansed him there. God has empowered him there, right there, right at the point of his confession. Peter says, depart from me, Lord. I am a guilty man. I'm a guilty man. The next thing we learn from this passage is don't let guilt get in the way of your fault. That's the danger that Peter's under at this point. And that's what jumped out to me that night in the men's group. 
That, that, and I think more than anything else, more than the distractions even, more than the busyness around us, we allow the distraction to keep us and to try to fill us instead because it's actually fear. It's actually guilt that gets in the way. Who am I that I could follow? And the, and the enemy will whisper it in your ear, who do you think you are? That's for other people. That's for people that are better than you. That's for people that are cleaner than you. That's for people that haven't been where you've been and done what you've done. Others might be able to follow Jesus, but that's not for you because of where you've been and because of who you are. And we say, depart from me, Lord. I can only stand back here. I'll look on from a distance because I dare not come close. I dare not come close. And Jesus says, no, 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 Peter, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You will catch men, not just fish, but men. And I love the way that in, the, in the same episode, which is much more abbreviated than Matthew, but I love the way that Matthew captures it. I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to call you to myself and I'm going to make you what you yourself are not. It's not about you. It's not on you. I will make you. Peter, don't be afraid. Our guilt would cause us to draw back, and the Lord says the same thing to us. Don't let guilt get in the way. Now, that's verses 1 through 11, basically. We haven't quite looked again at verse 11 yet, but look, pausing here, this is what the rest of the chapter is about. There's three episodes that come next. I'm not going to teach through them, but I want to summarize them for you. There's three, because these three episodes underscore, reinforce, they drive home what Peter and you and I urgently need to hear, desperately need to hear. I don't need to be afraid. I don't need to let guilt get in the way of following Jesus because Jesus has dealt with our guilt in himself. Look at the next episode, the very next episode, verses 12 to 16. What is it about? It's about the healing of a leper. A leper is healed. He says, if you're willing, Jesus, you can make me clean. And he says, I am willing, be clean. I am willing. Jesus will make him whole. He will make him clean. An outcast. A leper is outcast from society. He's separated from everybody else. He's the one that has to tell others, depart from me, I'm unclean. He's the one that has to keep distance between him and anybody else in society. He's the one that could never enter the temple. He's the one that could never draw near. He's the one that could never think of walking with Jesus, a rabbi, a teacher, the son of God. He could never walk with Jesus because he's a leper, he's unclean. And Jesus says, I am willing to make you clean. The story of the leper is an outcast made clean. We once were, as Ephesians 2 says, without hope and without God in the world. But you who were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You have been brought near. You don't need to have to say, depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful person. You don't have to say that. He knows your sin. That's why he died for you. So that you who are far off can be brought near. That's the leper. The outcast is brought near. And Jesus says, go to the priest. Go to the temple. Show yourself. Now you can go to the priest. Now you can go to the temple. Now you can reconnect back into society. The one who is outcast comes home. The next story after that, what is it? The paralyzed man. 
This is the man where the friends drop him down. They open up a hole through the ceiling. The religious people are all crowded in and blocking the door, so they have to make an opening through the ceiling, and they drop him down right in front of Jesus. And Jesus, hey, here he is, a paralyzed man. Why is he there for? What do you think? Why has the paralyzed man been brought to Jesus? What do they hope he's going to do? Somebody. To heal him so that he could walk again. And Jesus then looks at the man and says, your sins are forgiven. Huh. Well, that's not what they expected. That's not what anybody expected. Especially not the religious people. What do you you mean? Your sins are forgiven. He said, well, what's harder to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Well, rise up and walk. Why? Because anybody can say your sins are forgiven, but we don't really believe it. But if I say rise up and walk, you can see that right away. And the rise up and walk, and the man does. He takes up his pallet and he goes home. That shows that the other was also true. Your sins are forgiven. The basis of his being, don't miss this part, the basis of his being able to walk is what? Your sins are forgiven. Physical ailment. Don't, don't, don't think here at this point, don't think that because somebody has a physical ailment, it's because of their sin. That's a superficial shortcut. Don't think that way, but the, all the kinds of sickness and illness and disability that all of us endure and suffer in one way or another, all of that is because of the fall. It is the brokenness of humanity. We were not, you know how you felt this morning when you walk up and kind of creaked out of bed? You were not made to feel that way. That is not God's intention, and that is not what eternity has in store. Oh, praise the Lord. Wow. And yet, that stuff in the present reminds us of our brokenness and that we are desperately in need of a Savior. And let all of that stuff, let that remind you that I need Jesus. And I need him not only for this kind of stuff, but I need him for the real stuff. I need him for the forgiveness so that I, like that leper, can come close. And then the third thing rolls these two together. There's a, there's a, there's a leper, there's a lame man, and then there's Levi. And I don't mean the one in the back of the room at the board. I'm talking about Levi, the tax collector. A tax collector and sinner. One of the worst. He's outcast from society because of who he is and all the stuff he does. He's robbed them blind. He's enriched them. He's a parasite on society because he has cheated people out of whatever he can cheat and squeeze out of the people beyond what Rome expects from him, he gets to keep. And he has all the authority of Rome behind him to pull it off. No wonder he's not a popular guy. He's an outcast because of his sinful, um, um, his sinful mistreatment and abuse and enrichment off of others. So he is an outcast. And Jesus goes to him. And Jesus tells Levi, follow me. The same words for Peter and others are also the words for Levi, a man who is a sinner, a man who is an outcast. And Jesus says to him, you follow me. How can that be? Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So all those that realize their sin, those who are aware of it, when you think about walking closer, following the Lord, yeah, but you don't know where I've been. I don't have to know where you've been. Jesus knows where you've been. And he will forgive you. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't say, get your act together, get yourself cleaned up, and when you're ready, come to me. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will rest you. I will give you rest. Don't let your awareness of sin hold you back. Rather, our awareness of our sin ought to push us closer to the Savior, to follow him, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. And when I realize what he's done for me, that ought to push me closer to be with him and to follow him, to hunger for knowing him better. Lastly then, one of the other things we learn, getting hold of that, when that grabs hold of us, then we leave behind guilt and false gain. Look at verse 11. Peter and the others, when they had brought their boats to the land, boats full of fish, they left everything and followed him. Now the story abbreviates and makes the point, these disciples have, have heeded the call. They, have, they, have, they, they are going to follow the master. They are going to follow the Lord. And yet there's something inter- intriguing about that. What happened to the fish? I mean, how long did they leave them there? How long did they stay? They, they walk off and... What happens to the fish? It could smell after a while, couldn't it? Maybe they just said, hey, the, the crowd's there. Hey, help yourselves to the fish. We're going with Jesus. I don't know exactly, but they left everything. They left the fish. They left, the, they left all, the, all that they had gathered that night. They left the nets that still now need to be cleaned again. They left the boats, and their priority was following Jesus. Same thing occurs at the end of these stories. Look at verse 27. Verse 27, there's the call to Levi sitting in his tax booth. Jesus says, follow me. And leaving everything, Levi rose and followed him. Leave behind both false guilt. Levi could have said the same thing. Who am I to follow Jesus? Peter says, who am I to follow Jesus? But Jesus says, don't be afraid. Follow me. He invites us to follow him. They leave behind false guilt and leave behind false gain. They leave behind any other distractions that could get in the way. And they say, I will follow him. Now we think of this and we think of in terms of, terms of ministry or missions. Uh, uh, there's, there's some men in our church right now that are, that are pursuing seminary education. They want to follow the Lord in a call that he's put on them into pastoral ministry. The, there are others from our congregation, I think of the Evans, that they sold their house, they left a good job, and they said, God is, God is calling us into mission. And even before they knew where exactly that was, they began following the Lord and taking those steps to, to prove out his will and then to step into it. And they left a lot behind to do that. I remember coming back from uh, on furloughs and coming back to some of our supporting churches when we were missionaries, and, and people were, were just talking to us about the sacrifices that we had made, but you know, they didn't seem like, I, I kind of puzzled about that. How do I respond? Because I don't feel the sacrifice. The part about being away from family, yeah, but the other stuff about leaving, quote, the good life and living off in the bush in Africa. We had a lot of fun in the bush in Africa. But I think part of that was there's no place better to be than right in the center of God's will. Because I've been back to Africa since then, and I visited Ruth in Zimbabwe, and I'm thinking, it's a great place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live here. (laughs) But I loved living there when that's where God called us to be. You see, there's nothing better than that. 
Nothing better than being right in the middle of God's will. So beware of, of anything. Now we think about that, okay, in terms of ministry or missions and those kind of full-time vocational serving the Lord. Well, how about how you choose that job change? Or how you choose how many hours will I work? What will I add into my schedule? What other responsibilities am I willing to take on? Because what is it going to cost me in terms of my freedom to follow the Lord? Will, be, will I be able to do what God puts before me to do if I take this on? Or if I follow this move merely because it's the next advancement on my career path? Could ambition get in the way of how I would follow the Lord and serve him among people he has placed me with? If God has set me in a particular place for a particular purpose, and maybe that's a shorter term, or maybe that's longer than I had planned, what will I give up in being willing to follow him? It could be as simply as hearing the Lord's voice, as I told the kids, and taking that next step of this one thing that he said, that's what I should do. That's where I should serve. That's what I should step away from. That's what I should give up. That's what I should stop doing. That's what I should leave behind. That something is a distraction to me. I should give it away. What is it where I hear the Lord's voice? And I'll give, that's the false gain. That's the false satisfier. That's the distraction that can easily get in the way. How do I take the next step? How do I step into this, this following as a disciple? It could be as simple as an older woman here in the church who notices a younger mom and say, you know, I'm going to come alongside her. Maybe, maybe we're going to have coffee or tea together. I'm just going to give her a call, see if we can get together sometime. And I, I've learned a lot of things that you don't learn until you're in the midst of it with family. And I've learned some stuff, and now I could pass that on to somebody else. How do I raise my kids in a godly home in the midst of an ungodly world? And I've got something I could share with somebody else, and I'm going to do that. If I pass that around, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a matter of I've gained some wisdom and maybe if I had it all to do over again, I'd redo some stuff. I don't get do-overs, but I could pass that on to somebody else so they don't have to make all the same mistakes that I did. Maybe it's, I need to find somebody like Ryan did. Maybe I need to find somebody that I could learn something from. Maybe not that I'll learn everything from, but something, someone that I could learn something from in the next step in my walking with the Lord. Maybe that act of discipleship is simply following the Lord in, in that next step of sacrifice. Oh, we're gonna, this is a good time to bring up the offering. We're going to receive an offering in just a moment. But seriously, we give by faith. We don't give out of obligation. We do not give out of guilt. We give because the Lord, will, the Lord has given this to me and the Lord will use this. He will use this for his mission in some way, and I want to be a part of that. I'm going to trust him with that. And there's a white card that goes in there too, and I might share a prayer request. Why? Because I believe, A, that God will hear that. Others will pray and God will hear it. But also I believe in that bonding of the family together that we will pray for one another. I believe that I'm not isolated here, that I'm part of God's family. And that's one of the ways that we express that. And so it's a good time then to just, let's, let's clo- close in prayer. And as I close in prayer, I want us to just lift up before the Lord. Are there distractions? Are there nets to mend? Are there fish to chase? Or are, is there guilt within?
that gets in my way of following him. Let's pray. Father, you know, Lord, where we are now. And Father, I don't know all the situations, but Lord, while, we're, while our heads are bowed, I would, I would ask those that would say, yes, I'm distracted by things. There's something that gets in the way in terms of a distraction, a busyness, that I need to do something about that I might follow the Lord where he's calling me. Or there's something, I, I, I confess, that guilt in my heart makes me think that I can't. And I need to give that guilt to the Lord Jesus who died for all of my sins. Lord, either one of those, distractions or guilt that gets in the way, just a raise of a hand now that would just allow us to join together in prayer. No one else looking, but I'll just raise a hand up briefly. Distraction gets in my way or guilt gets in my way. Father, you have heard and seen that confession. So Lord, would you direct that disciple and how they would follow you if there's something to give up, if there's a change they should make. Father, if there is guilt that they need to now hear the whisper of your spirit and the promise of your word that the sin they confess to you is forgiven by you. Lord, would you settle our hearts in your amazing grace. And then, Lord, as we give ourselves to you as well as that which we have, as we give ourselves to you, Father, would you surprise us with the amazing thing that you will do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.